You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where every episode we discuss a different album from Robert Emery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. episode we'll be talking about tom waits rain dogs in the room i have rob clap cheeks man and on the line i have ben clap hams and <laughs> there it is kyle jesus hi guys <laughs> uh rain dogs is the ninth studio album by the american singer songwriter tom waits released in september 1985 on island records the producer was tom waits and the genre is experimental rock and I'm going to read from All Music Review, William Rollman. With its jarring rhythms and unusual instrumentation, marimba, accordion, various percussion, uh, as well as its frequently surreal lyrics, Rain Dogs is very much a follow-up to Swordfish Trombones, which is to say that it sounds for the most part like the three-penny opera being sung by Howlin' Wolf. The chief musical difference is the in- Introduction of guitarist Mark Ribot, who adds his noisy leads to the general cacophony. But Rain Dogs is sprawling where its predecessor had been focused. Tom Waits' lyrics here sometimes are imaginative to the point of absurdity, seemingly chosen to fit the rhythms rather than for sense. In the course of 19 tracks and 54 minutes, Waits sometimes goes back to the more conventional music of his earlier records, which seems like a retreat, though such tracks as the catchy Hang Down Your Head, Time, and especially Downtown Train, frequently covered and finally turned into a top 10 hit by Rod Stewart five years later, provide some relief as well as variety. Rain Dogs can surprise, as Swordfish Trombones had, and in his attempt to continue in that direction suggested by that album, Waits occasionally borders on the chaotic, but much of the music matches the earlier album, and there's so much of it that it's enough to qualify Rain Dogs as one of Waits' better albums. All right, what do we think of Tom Waits' Rain Dogs? It's fucking awesome. First it's, listen. It's terrific. First one listen, of, too. One of my yeah. favorite. It, it's really good. It's real goddamn good. God yeah. Damn it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to like it. <laughs> yeah, you I didn't want to like it. Staunchly opposed to Tom Waits. So what's what's different from this to uh, Swordfish? Well, the thing is, and I mentioned this on the on the Swordfish episode, is just whenever I when I think of Tom Waits fans, I think of these uh-huh. yeah. dudes of bushy yep. red beards at the bar, like drinking, you know, two hearted ale and just. Are you coming for me, bro? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. And they always talk about rain dogs. That's why I was kind of dreading this episode. I was like, oh, it's rain dogs. But they were right? They were right. 
Sons of Bitches. <laughs> the song is incredible. It's incredible. It, yeah, I, I agree. It didn't you. even take more than one listen. I was like, oh shit, it's good. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it's a masterpiece. Yeah, it's it's all, all the hype. You know, it's great. This is a, a this is a really goddamn good record. And I'm I'm glad. I know I'm older now. Maybe you know, but. I'm glad I finally arrived here. I'm Rain Dogs. Yeah. Great I, record. Give I mean, yourself a two-hearted, go down to the bar, <laughs> harass some 20-year-olds. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Yeah. <laughs> Put your cat cabbie hat on. And- That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this week I learned that that is not Tom Waits on the album cover. Nope. It's not. I always thought it was. Looks like him. Looks just like him. It's not him. Yeah, photos so, from like this the photos from the like the sixties. It's like a Swedish uh photographer or mm-hmm. a Norwegian yeah. one. Uh Swedish. Between the Smiths and Tom Waits, uh black and white candid photography is really making a comeback in nineteen eighty five. Dude, fucking aha on the uh the last one as yeah. well. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's a it, it's an entire <laughs> entire thing. Yeah. The whole vibe. Uh Suzanne Vega as well, yeah. I believe. She yes. might have been sepia. Uh, when I think of best Tom Waits albums, this for me this always, the one. I mean, it has to be in the top three, if not the, my favorite. I mean, it's he, just got he, everything. He, he has a hundred of them. So he doesn't have is Bone Machine in that top three, Birch? No, no, it's not. Is Nighthawks at the diner? Ooh, probably close. Yeah, it's up there. I, I just like some of those later ones. Um, even bad as me and real gone. I mean, those are, those are up there too. It's really hard. Cause he, yeah, you're right. He has such a sprawling career, but this album in particular just hits me. Yeah. Every single time I listen to it and we're listening to uh tangle till the sore. And every time I'm like jockey full of bourbon comes on and you're like, this is some dope Spanish, you know, that tremolo and that sort of, it's a real vibe song of, mm-hmm. you know, almost like late night driving or something. And then Tangle Till the Sore comes on and you're like, this is the the most amazing just after hours, you know, drunken piano player singing his heart out about. Hey, just, the piano's been drinking. Yeah, it's just there's so many uh, good songs on this album. Hang this, Down Your Head, mm-hmm. Time, uh, even Rain Dogs. I constantly sing. Um, yeah, walking Spanish, uh, just everything. This album just makes me want to start a detective agency. Yeah, <laughs> Rob, remember when we almost did? God, what a weird world we would have. <laughs> what would have? What would have happened if Rossington Manor had been purchased and that second floor had been our detective agency? <laughs> My God, a whole different trajectory. My credit was off by 25 points. Otherwise, I could have bought a conventional. We would have been in a completely different position. We were roommates at the time, and Rob almost bought this three-story like brick manor on Breckenridge. That yeah, like the ground floor was like a, was like a, like a living space, and the third floor was like a small apartment, and the middle floor. It needed work, but it had like office space, and it had like like the frosted, frosted glass, frosted old, glass, on old detective all, doors. Yeah, 
and we were roommates at the time. I was like, oh yeah, you, you buy that. I'll rent out that top, lo- top loft and we can just run our detective agency out of this place. <laughs> it was going to be perfect. I'm glad to know that in some alternate timeline that's currently happening. And I hope we're doing well. I hope we're doing very well. Uh, this was written in parallel too with uh, his other album, Frank's Wild Years, which was a theater show uh, that was going to premiere soon after this album. So 1986. So okay. it, it's kind of been, this is when he went to New York. He changed it. I mean, he was already changing it up with swordfish trombones, but this is, this is the switch for me. It's I mean, like, th- this is very similar to swordfish trombones. Yeah. I just feel like he, he honed in. Yeah, That, that one that. feels a little <laughs> more experimental. And this one feels like he's coming into what that, okay. what it actually means. You know what swordfish trombones needed? Keith Richards. Yeah. Yeah. It also needed Michael Blair. Oh, Michael Blair for sure. Who is yeah. the the cavalcade of every single percussion instrument you could possibly think of. Yep. Yeah. Right now we're listening to uh to uh Big Black, Big Black Mariah and uh this is one of the three songs on this album that features Keith Richards. You hear him. You 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 can't really hide Keith Richards light under a bushel. It, it sticks out no, like, yeah, you're like, Oh, sure. Oh, I know that guy. It sounds different than everything else on the record. I was thinking yeah, about the Keith songs. Richards thing. And then I was thinking about what Jagger was up to at this point, And I'm pretty sure it was dancing in the street with, uh, <laughs> Bowie. With, Bowie? With, with Bowie. Yeah. And yeah. you know, so there's, there's that atrocity be, being committed. And then on the other side, Keith Richards writing a fucking art piece with yeah. Tom Waits. Yeah. I mean, this is 85. I mean, uh, this is the year of, uh, like, uh, we are the world, right? Isn't that 85? Oh uh, yeah. Someone... Uh, Band-Aid. We're around. Band-Aid. Uh, so yeah, Live Aid. Li- Live Aid. Live Aid. Yeah. <laughs> All the AIDS. But for, forever We're not going to talk about hearing aid again. <laughs> forever Entwined is Born in the USA on tape and, uh, We Are the World also on tape, like, in 1985, like in, in the house that like we I initially like was born in, um, so yeah, like this is a uh, th- th- this is a uh, all of the AIDS, yeah, <laughs> uh, seriously all the AIDS, yeah. One thing I found really interesting uh, reading about this album was the guest musicians' accounts of how Tom Waits would would be music director. It kind of reminded me of how Brian Eno would be music director mm-hmm. where Brian Eno was like, all right, I'm going to dance and you play. But, I have a uh, deck of cards. But apparently, apparently he told, uh, he told Mark, uh, Mark Rabot to play like it was a midgets bar mitzvah on one song. And <laughs> Mark Rabot was like, I got it. And then like <laughs> nailed it. I mean, uh, similarly, Keith Richards, he was trying to communicate to Keith Richards how he wanted the feel of a song. And he couldn't do it in words. I think it was Big Black Mariah. So Tom Waits goes, he's like, you got to play it like this. And then you just like start stalking around like an animal. And Keith Richards like, oh, why didn't you say so, mate? (laughs) Why didn't you say that before? (laughs) (laughs) Animalistic. (laughs) It reminded me of that Keith Richards story that we heard on, I think it was like Sticky Fingers or something where Keith Richards was sleeping off a hangover and like Mick Taylor and, and, and Mick Jagger were like working on bitch or something and couldn't get the riff right. Then like Keith Richards just like wakes up, comes up and like, it's like this. It's like, <laughs> and just play, plays, plays the riff of bitch, how it's supposed to be played. And then 
goes back to back to bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of people in the room were like, oh, that's why he's that's why he's the here. Yeah. Because he can just do he, that. The way it's like the way he feels music and the way he communicates it is almost animalistic and, and primal. And that's why I can't, when Tom Waits was like stalking around the room, it clicked with Keith. He's like, oh, yeah, I got you. Like, yeah. I can play like that. I can, yeah, and when I read that too, I, I just imagine I'm like, I'm sure Mick Jagger does that all the time for Keith. He's just like, yeah, he's doing his little twirl, a snake twirl, a, a series of clicks, yeah. and uh, just yes. chicken, no. chicken arms. He's um, like, angry school marm, angry school marm, free Jack, free Jack. <laughs> Well, you play that Tarantella, all the hounds will start to roar. The boys all go to hell, and then the Cubans hit the floor. They drive along the pipeline, they tangled with their sore. They take apart their nightmares, and they leave them by the door. Let me fall out of the window with confetti in my hair. Deal out Jack's a better on a blanket by the stairs. More or less, everyone, like, no one came in with any idea of what was going to happen, like, song-wise. Tom Waits would sit down with guitar, uh, just some shitty fucking, like, hollow body, like, Mm -hmm. thumb-picking through it, and then they would, like, get into it, and then within, like, one or two takes, it'd be done. Yeah, very inspirational, for sure. At this time, Tom Waits would just mess with the press. Like, every interview would just be some made-up story about midgets and hookers and (laughs) booze and whatever. And probably incredibly, like, delivered incredibly cleverly. Yeah, yeah. uh, But he said... Yeah, yeah. uh, For Keith Richards... Uh, he said when they met, he met Keith Richards, uh, we're relatives. Oh, I didn't realize it. We met in the women's lingerie shop. We were both buying brassiers for our wives. And then he says, okay, scratch that. <laughs> uh, but seriously, uh, someone was there and they said as a joke, like, who do you want on this song? Uh, and he was like, oh, how about Keith Richards? And they said, oh, okay, cool. We'll call him up now. And he was like, and Tom Waits was like, no, no, Jesus, don't do that. I was just kidding around. And then I guess he just got in the studio. I mean, it just happened because he just was throwing it out there as a, oh, wouldn't it be funny if Keith Richards played on this song? That's what you got to shoot for the moon. But I mean, and then like they've been collaborating ever since. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I really liked, I'm going to read a Tom Waits quote regarding this album and i really liked it especially considering like a lot of the stuff uh that uh, other contemporary stuff we've been covering in 85 he says uh if i want a sound i usually feel better if i've chased it killed it skinned it and cooked it most things you can get with a button nowadays so if i was trying for a certain drum sound my engineer would say oh for christ's sakes why are we wasting our time let's just hit this little cup with a stick here sample something like a drum sound from another record make it bigger in the mix don't worry about it and I would say, no, I would rather go into the bathroom and hit the door with a piece of two by four very hard. And I like that. I like that. And there's, cool. there's and I can tell which songs he just like hitting like a chest of drawers with a two by four on here. And it sounds really cool. And it sounds better than if they had just sampled something. Yeah. 
So Downtown Train won a Grammy, but for Rod Stewart? Rod Stewart. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a top 10 hit five years later for Rod Stewart. I mean, it makes sense. So was that was was that the uh, bring out bring out the, those old Motown records, put the speakers in the window? <laughs> like is that, that, was a, that, that was a different that was a different hit for him. Okay, but that was, was like that a the same year album? later though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is a Grammy nomination, right? He didn't win it. Are you sure? Uh, yeah, a uh, nomination. Yeah, for best male pop performance. On the Rod Stewart version, uh, he's got Jeff Beck playing guitar. On the Tom Waits version, that is G.E. Smith of the Saturday Night Live Band. There you go. And of Bruce. And of Oh, no. G.E. Smith of Hall Notes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. A band neglected by this book. Did anyone watch the uh, music video for Downtown Train? I didn't. Yep. It had Jake LaMotta in it, Rob. Yep. Oh, no. Jay Clamata? Yeah, that boxer. Yeah. That right. Robert De Niro played in Raging, Raging Bull. Bull. Oh. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a down and out boxer in 1985, Tom Waits is your meal ticket. Hang out with go 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 to a dive bar with Tom Waits. He's gonna write a song about you, put you in a music video, and then you're gonna be fine. Yeah, that's probably true. He said it was very I mean, this time was very inspirational. He would just get up get into a cab, walk around, and just write everything that uh, came to his head. Yeah. I like his process of, because he, 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 I forget if it was with uh, Swordfish Trombone or another one, where he was like, his process for one of the other albums, where he was like limiting his own budget to, almost, to like below poverty levels. So he was, would force himself to, like a method actor. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and I think it's interesting what what Tom Waits does to get in the mindset to to create a work. I think it's cool. Yeah, he almost went the opposite way. He could have in his approach, he could have been he was the what barroom singer. Right. Mm -hmm. And he could have easily probably gone the way of Billy Joel and, and get you know, become bigger and bigger and bigger, right? He could have played for more and more people, but it seemed like he went the opposite, the introspective way, because we're listening to Time, Time, Time right now, and every single one of his songs is like this, feels like the solo solitude that he that he kind of goes into, or it's the crazy carnival barker. He doesn't have the easy to get along with, you know, downtown train, yeah, maybe that's, that's close to the to the single, but I feel like he shies away from writing the um, what would you say the great American song or something. No, he, no, he, he he shies away from Hoagie Carmichael. He thinks it should be uh, Captain Beefheart or Howlin' Wolf. There are a couple on here that really did remind me of Springsteen. I didn't uh, yeah. mm-hmm. didn't didn't write them down specific, but I mean. I mean, as of the last album, like he had, and 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 a little bit of heart, heart attack and vine, he had completely like thrown the concept of straight up like rock and roll like out the window. He didn't want he didn't want to have anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean this like and also like he smoked and drank himself into a, a voice that really can't hit much else, mm-hmm. and then as opposed to like you know. He just leaned into it and gets even fucking weirder as he goes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> straight up, like, 
if you think this sounds like a Muppet, you have not heard Muppet yet. Muppet Tom Waits is uh <laughs> is coming down the the pipe though. Yeah, you have you have to age into to the true Muppet voice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did love that Michael Blair, who's a percussionist, he came to the studio with a cavalry of percussion instruments. He, he said. Brought in cases and cases of instruments choose, to choose from uh, tack drums from China, temple bowls from Japan, wood blocks from Thailand, 40 cymbals, many broken, car parts, kitchen appliances, zillions of shakers, tambourines, bells, gongs from all over the world, three proper drum kits. And he was trained, he was like a trained percussionist, and he had worked with people like uh, Harry uh, Parch and uh, John Cage. So... Oh, cool. I, I mean, you're not going to get much better than that. No. Uh, when when you want these sort of like sporadically, something that sounds crazy, but is in perfect time mm-hmm. and, and has the perfect sort of a, a timbre to it. Everybody does a great job on this. Uh, I really like the marimba on this album. Yeah. Is that, is that the same marimbist as the last one? Um. Uh, uh, it's Michael Blair. It's Michael Blair, yeah. It, it it almost sounds like he's playing it with like sticks or bones. You know, it doesn't sound like he's playing with like like traditional mallets. It's it's got like a like a like like a like a goofy skeleton dance. Like a scoopy, type it's of like sound. a skeleton playing yeah. a yeah. rib cage. Yes, 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 it's got it's got the skeleton playing the rib cage sound. I'm so pissed that I love this album. Oh, you shouldn't be pissed <laughs> that you love this album. You should be pissed <laughs> that you pissed. didn't start loving this album a little bit earlier, buddy. Yeah. No, I no. It's never too late to come to Tom Waits, bud. Yeah. It gets wild, too. This Midtown instrumental is... um, Yeah. It's just all over the place. And a part of that, too, was his making friends with uh, the Lounge Lizards. Uh, John Lurie and the Lounge Lizards were in the same practice space as he was in uh, New York. No way! So they became best buds, and that's that's where you get this kind of... um, Oh, shit, that's that's John Lurie playing sax. Yeah. Yeah. I mostly know him from his painting show. Yeah, and probably also from uh, Down by Law, which mm-hmm. was happening around this time with John Lurie, Roberto Benini, and Tom Waits playing the uh, the three main characters. Jim Jarmusch. Uh, probably my yeah. favorite Jim Jarmusch film. I don't know. I would go with um, the uh, Only Lovers Left Alive. I think that's uh, good. my favorite of his work. Have Did any of you guys see a Jim Jarmusch at IU Cinema? I can't remember who was there. I didn't. Yeah, Birch. Yeah. Ha- have Jarmusch and Waits just been friends like the whole time, or they met around this time, '85, uh, and they just met at a party, and they were both the ones just standing in the corner of the party. <laughs> I could, I, I, so, I can picture that party. <laughs> and yes, that just they have like. You know, very like-minded, and I think they have similar uh, ideas and uh, feelings about a sort of music and art. My favorite part of coffee and cigarettes is the Tom Waits Iggy Pop conversation. I think. Sure. Yeah, it's a good scene. <laughs> um, did any of this? I was wondering, Kyle, because when you talk about your dislike for uh, Tom Waits, it made me think of Ninth and uh, uh, Hey Penny, or is it? Is that how you Hennepin? say it? Hennepin. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Ninth and Hennepin. So did you, were you turned off by this song where it has the sort of stream of conscious beat poetry or, or did it just, 
They kind of come super into it. I thought it was pretty good. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. I mean, this might have been the song that I heard when I was like 21, and I was like, goddamn sons of bitches. I know you don't really like this. Yeah. I know you don't like this, but now I like it. <laughs> yeah. If someone played that this song for me and maybe Singapore and you know something else, I would I would kind of you know, they have a certain style that's probably been imitated and mocked ad nauseum by our generation of the sort of beat poetry oh heavens holier yes. than thou mm. you know artistic um i know you guys really ripped into like jim morrison and you know thinking you're a better poet than than you might be I, but i i really really like that and i like tom waits uh, lyrics and his uh his elements no, I'm glad. No, I was not looking forward to this, and I liked it from the first fucking song. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, not oh, crap. It's great. It's a great record. <laughs> I enjoyed looking into it. I enjoyed uh, the lore, you know, behind everything. Uh, it turns out I was the asshole. <laughs> Sometimes. What a twist. Yeah. <laughs> I I was also, you know, we're listening to uh, Gun Street Girl Gun right Street now. Girl. And it really took me back to the uh, Trout Mounts replica, Captain Beefheart kind of stuff. So I looked up, I was like, what's what's the captain doing around 1985? I looked it up and I was like, yeah, this is why I'm not into Captain Beefheart and I'm into Tom Waits. Because he is still, he's hanging on that like rock and roll, that like 60s rock. It's still weird. But it, there's something that Tom Waits transcends with his approach to songs not just the melody it's just it, it's more interesting to me yeah it doesn't just have yeah, a he's... traditional like rock band behind him that's doing some wacky things um it, you know i get yeah this is eight records in you know yeah definitely an in- influence though inside a broken clock splashing the wine with all I got nothing uh, in particular aside from I love this fucking record and uh, it should be heard before you uh, you shuffle off. Yeah, I agree. This is this is a first listen for me. I liked a lot. I'm surprised at 54 minutes long that it was not more than one disc. But I guess they can fit. I thought like 45 minutes was like pushing it. And this is 10 minutes longer than that. Uh, yeah, Ben, I, I did the same thing. I, I was like, how long is this fucking record? And I was looking up the albums and they're like, like uh, on vinyl. And it's like, it's $350. I was like, no, how long is it? Like, <laughs> Wait, how much is it? I have it upstairs. 350 mm. American dollars. No, you're joking. Is it you, sealed? Is it's yours a, sealed, but it is. Is yours a, a reissue? No, original. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Sometime in my uh, 
Sometime in college, I just bought every Tom Waits album I could get on vinyl. Yeah, that's a smart move. Asylum Records. Uh, Island Records. In Asylum. And I, I, t- I tell you what, some, one, of, one of very many things that this podcast has te- teach me has been that Island, Le- Island Records and Chris Blackwell take risks mm-hmm. and put out some really cool stuff. Yep. Yep. I like that. I like when a record label is going to take some risks on someone. When I first saw this record was 19 tracks. I was crestfallen. <laughs> some of but them are short. Some of them are interlude. Then, then I was okay. Yeah. I was all right. I got through it. <laughs> uh, you'll be happy to know that when uh, Tom Waits forlorn pl- plays the accordion, he was talking about it and he was like, yeah, I mainly just do, you know, I got the keys over here. I have no idea what these buttons are doing over here. <laughs> That's exactly right. I thought about Rob. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, does anybody want to take a stab at what a rain dog is or what your interpretation of a rain dog is? I thought it was a Ren and Stimpy thing, but that's Fire Dog, so I looked it up. <laughs> is it a, a Rain Dog? Is it a uh, is it a Trash Man? Yeah. Is it a condom? Um, I mean, I think it's up to your interpretation. As I, well, I have uh, no idea. Yeah, what would, what would you think? What would you say a Rain Dog is, though? I think it's when you leave a dog out in the rain, and it's like, oh! <laughs> you know? It's a Rain Dog. Yeah. You'd say that. Uh... It's what Tom Waits sounds like. Yeah, one explanation by Wait uh, Waits, and this is a pretty long one. Uh, you can get them in Coney Island. They're little. They come in a bun. It's just water in a bun. That's all. It's a bun. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bun that's been. It, it's a bun without a hot dog in it. It's just. Uh, it's been it's sitting in the rain. <laughs> left out in the rain, and they're called rain dogs. And they're less expensive <laughs> than the standard hot dog. Park. <laughs> I love it, uh, Kyle. <laughs> that reminds got- me of the time. Do you remember when, when we were so broke and so hungry, and we just had to go to Chocolate Moose and eat Frenchies? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, what was um, it like fifty cents? It was like thirty-five cents because it's it just like a onions it's like a and mustard in a bun. <laughs> it's it's a bun with mon- must- onions and mustard on it. Yeah. Oh, it didn't even have the coney sauce on it. It might have had some coney sauce on it. Yeah, I think it has. Coney. But there's de- that's where you give them like. 30 cents and they're like, please step away from the car. <laughs> like, please, sir, we're go. hungry. Yeah. Like, all right, well, you, you have to eat these around the corner where we're serving family's ice cream here, over here. Eat this food. Uh, he did have more than one. So he said another one is a rain dog is anybody who, people who sleep in doorways, people who don't have credit cards, people who don't go to church, people who don't have, you know, a mortgage, you know. Who, Houseless. Who fly in this whole plane by the seat of their pants. People who are going down the road, you know. Have your pick. I like one more explanation. Uh, taking uh, taking dog for what it is. A dog. You know, dogs in the rain lose their way back home. They've even seen... They even seem to look up at you and ask if you can help them to get back home. Because after it rains, every place they've they pee on has been washed out it's like mission impossible they go to sleep thinking the world is one way and they wake up and somebody moved the furniture that's like a good that. one but i think my favorite one is the empty hot dog set up and <laughs> rained on <laughs> yeah i relate to that <laughs> like, oh man there have been days where i've just what all i could have was a rain dog yeah. there's been days when i have been a wet bun 
Yep. Last time I was yep. on Coney Island, uh, I found a uh, found a note laying on the ground that just it was like a folded up little piece of paper that said like, "I give my grandson permission to spend with spend underlined." Just like laying on the ground a pile of trash. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get it. Uh, I still have it. I need to get it laminated. <laughs> yeah, you should frame that. Uh, yeah, and then here he goes. Uh, man, towards the end of the album, "Blind Love" with his country, country uh, crooning here with "Blind Love." I mean, I'm so mad that I don't hate this. <laughs> I'm mad that I love this. This uh, this song not only has Keith on guitar, but also on backing vocals, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sounds great. Son of a bitch. All right, are we all on the positive then? Oh, yeah, man. This, yeah, yeah, this is amazing. This is, this, is, this is really good. And we don't have to talk about Tom Waits again until 1992, boys. Yep. Is that hey. Bone Machine? That is Bone Machine. Um, Your yeah. bones got a little machine. I don't want to grow up. <laughs> uh. This is also, I just want to mention, uh, on countless uh, lists and things, it's considered the best album of the 1980s. So, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Cool. Man, that's... It's a hot take. It's a hot take. That's a hot take. That, 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 that's a high honor. Yeah. yeah. D- d- discounting uh, the one we're talking about next. Yeah. Was but, this um, we'll see. Was this proposed by some um, ginger dude with a beard? <laughs> Drinking a Bell's Too Hearted. I'm sure it was. It's like the the red cheeks. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You, you oh, know, yeah. Well, yeah. well, actually, in your I've way into someone's a heart. Craft He's got a fedora. Brew pub, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next time we'll be talking about the Jesus and Mary chain, Psycho Candy. All right, thanks, y'all. Thanks.